0: I had the privilege of kicking off our series uh, a few weeks back on It's a Matter of Trust and now I have the privilege of closing it. And over the past several weeks we've heard some wonderful truths about putting God first. About stewardship. About trusting God. Uh, We learned in Haggai chapter 1 that priorities will drive everything we do. And that When our priorities get misplaced and they're on us rather than God first, God has a loving way of giving us the message that we're off track and he puts holes in our bag and what we bring home suddenly goes and is blown away. And I have to share as a person who preached that message, what happened that following week? Um, Tuesday, I'm sitting there and my wife comes in and says, hey, I just took the load out of the laundry, put it in the dryer and hit go and nothing happened. And I said, oh, I'll, I'll fix that, no problem. And I went in and lo and behold, the dryer was dead. It was not fixable. And I thought to myself, hmm, rather than what a coincidence, I said, well, Lord, what, what are you telling me? But when I went to bed and thought about that as we strip, strewed uh, laundry all over the house to air dry. During the night, I heard a crash, but it wasn't the Lord. Um, and I went out in the kitchen in the morning and a fixture that has been up in our house for 20 years, part of it was on the floor, broken. So in a matter of 12 hours... I saw two more holes. And I said, Lord, what are you telling me? I I mean, I thought I heard the message. I thought I followed the message. But it spurred a lot of conversation in the following weeks. I'm thankful to say those holes have shut off for now. But stuff happens. And instead of saying stuff happens, what I do now is I say, Lord, what are you telling me? What are you telling me? Well, we also saw from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 the following week about the graciousness of our Lord who gave us Jesus Christ, the greatest gift. And when we stand at the foot of the cross, it's almost impossible to give stingily back to this great God. And we learned that you can actually give in a situation of extreme poverty and severe affliction. So that leaves none of us off the hook today, does it? Because even if we're in severe famine and poverty and affliction, we can still give. Well, the third thing we learned is that trusting God and putting it first is important. As the widow of Zarephath gave her last meal to the prophet and trusted God, God fed her and her son and the prophet for three more years because she put him first and gave what would have been her last meal away so as we come today in our current series i want to you to see several things but one is we're not going to hear only about god's astounding promises to the cheerful generous giver but also paul gives us i think six practical things to consider as he writes to the Corinthians. So open your Bibles, and we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to be beginning in verse 1. So follow along with me. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about, You to the Macedonians, namely, the Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you, and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift, and not affected by covetousness. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do, just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all while they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. Father, as we open this passage up, would you teach us what you wanted us to know? Would you open every heart and let us see how wonderful and amazing God you are who not only says, do what I say, but you reward us for just trusting you and doing it. You're incredible. But Father, I also pray that those who don't know Christ would see this magnificent God, this God who was a generous, cheerful, loving giver, and not the, just the punisher of evil. This is the God you are. This displays your character and we want to see it clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before I dive in, I want to do something here. I want to set a stage. See, some of us who have put our faith in Christ as our Savior and Lord will already acknowledge that the Bible is very clear that it teaches us to give and to put God first. I don't think there's going to be a lot of argument. But I also think that there are those who uh, are not yet across the bridge of giving. And maybe it's not clear maybe how you should give or what God wants you to do. Hopefully this passage this morning will give you some principles that share with us how we can implement and be motivated and to do this matter of giving like God would like us to. See, God promises the cheerful, generous giver that he will reward them, but that should never be our real motive for giving. That's a perk. Our motive for giving is because he's worth it, because we love him, because we're thankful. And if you don't know him yet, don't worry about giving. We want you to know him. We want you to know him. So as we move on, let's get principle number one. It's from verses one and two. It's giving, stimulates giving. And Paul begins, for it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. Now, what a word. I don't know how it got translated superfluous, but it's unnecessary. It's uh, redundant for me to say this, but why superfluous? That's, that's just so big. Anyway, I want you to see what he's saying, though, about the ministry to the saints. What is he talking about? What ministry is he talking about? Is he talking about the men's ministry? The kids' ministry? No, he's talking about ministry as the way we minister to. It's the same thing as service to the saints is sometimes rendered in Scripture. But we can also see in, in uh, chapter 8, verse 4, what he's really talking about. The Macedonians begged them for the favor of participating in the support of the saint. And support really means the financial support of these struggling Jewish believers. And they are the Achaean, the Corinthian and Macedonian believers. So when he's writing here that they want to share in the ministry, what we're really talking about is giving. And I love it because Paul... Seemed to already have reminded the Corinthians before he went to Macedonia. I don't know if you ever noticed that Paul was really bragging to the Macedonians about the the, uh, Corinthians before the Macedonians gave so generously as we heard in chapter 8. What does this tell us? It tells me one thing that we should just see right off the top. I think we need to do a better job in sharing the needs of the church with one another and with other churches. I think we've not done a good job here sharing the needs of this church with the people of the church. I think that leaders sometimes think it's like a parent. You don't share a lot of the stuff with the kids because you don't want them to worry, right? Dad's not doing well at work. He might lose his job. Let's scare the kids. Okay? That, you're not kids, you're brothers and sisters in Christ. You're part of the, we're no different. We're another brother and sister. We're another sheep on the same flock. And we need to do a better job sharing. But you also need to do a better job sharing with one another. We can't be proud. It's not a matter of pride. God uses the body to meet the needs for his kingdom's work and its people. That's why he's given you resources to do that. Well, in verse 2 it says this. For I know your readiness, of which I boast to you about the Macedonians, name to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia, and Achaia, don't get lost here, it's just the, the province around of which Corinth is the capital city, as it were. It's the central city that is responsible for that area and really has the leadership in that area. So the Achaean believers are all those around and centered around Corinth. Of their readiness and eagerness to give to the saints in Jerusalem, well, Paul is boasting about their commitment to give generously, and we see the response of that boasting in two places. One in verse two it says that well read what it says, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Well I thought that was curious. That even when the apostle Paul makes the appeal, not everybody gives. This, this is something that there's going to be a group of people even in this church regardless if the Apostle Paul were up here making the appeal we wouldn't get everybody this is a matter between each believer and the Lord this is not about a, not, we need a better person who can inspire giving this is not about that this is about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with God and this is a matter of your heart that's why it's never our job to tell you what you should give it's not We tell you the need. Paul expressed the need. They responded. He didn't tell them what to give. Well, there's also the second thing. Not only do we stir them up, but it says that they stirred them up so much that they gave a lot and overwhelmed them. It says they gave by their means and above their means. How could they do that? They're poor. But they were excited because they heard another team of believers were giving. So they wanted to do the same. It's almost like Paul was saying, hey, did you hear what the Corinthians were doing? And the Macedonian says, yeah, but we can beat that. And then, so then, what does he do? He writes back to the Corinthians. Hey, I think they just beat you. What is he telling us? Giving stimulates giving. Good stories about our great God inspires others to trust him and give too. If, if this church presented a need of $300,000, and I came up two months later and said, I just want you to give you progress on how you're all giving, two people have given $100, and we have three weeks to go, wouldn't that just inspire you to jump in? No. But if there was a story that said, by the way, people, you've been so faithful and sacrificial. We have $294,000. We're only $6,000 off our goal. I might want to step up and pay the last 6000 myself. It would inspire you. When you hear what God has done in others, it inspires us. So we need to be better at telling stories amongst ourselves. You are not bragging. If you're, if you're doing it right, you're not bragging on you. You're bragging on God. He is the faithful one. He is the provider. And he's the one that gives an apartment when you weren't looking for it, a house you weren't looking for it, or you sell a coin you think you need to, but he gives you a check for $6,000 because you didn't know you had it coming. He's the one. When you tell those stories, it inspires me. It inspires you. It says, I can trust God too. I'm going to do it. And I think we need to learn that principle. Principle number one, giving inspires giving. In verses three to five, Principle number two, good intentions aren't enough. Paul was worried. He said these Corinthians made a promise to the Macedonians that they were going to give to Jerusalem and he didn't want that promise to be hollow. And so that's what we're reading in this passage here that Paul sent a group of three men, I think it was Titus and two others, that went down to Corinth before Paul got there with the delegation that was coming from Macedonia. And he said, I think something like this. Guys, you did really good to promise this gift, and your promised giving has inspired Macedonia. In fact, they might outdo you, but I'd want to make sure that it's not a hollow boast. I want to make sure you follow through, um, because I know it's distinctly possible that you haven't finished it yet, or you're working on it, or you might even need help. So I'm sending the brothers along, not to shame you, not to scold you, but to encourage you to fulfill your promise and help you do it. I think this is very practical of Paul. And what is he saying? Was Paul against them making the promise? No. In fact, I think sometimes when we promise things, that's the only thing that makes us fulfill it. Why do we have promises in marriage ceremonies? I think they're critical. When you make a promise to each other before God, that might be the only thing that keeps you together in a rough spot. When you're in a run for the hills, or you're tired of it, or you can't take it anymore, you remember, but I promised. And what is my promise worth? Nothing. Because promises don't depend on circumstances, do they? They're not waiting for the better deal. If you promised your neighbor, I'll help you move on Saturday because no one else will help you. And you hear on Friday night, someone says, by the way, I got Super Bowl tickets right here in the town in the luxury box on Saturday. What do you think? My promise, luxury box. My promise, luxury. Sometimes it's our promise is the only thing that holds us. It's not our good intentions. Our good intentions will fail. And God said this in Ecclesiastes 5 4 and 5. When you make a vow or a promise to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better not to make the vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Is that your character? Is that mine? When you make a promise to someone, is it rock solid? Unless God strikes you down with an affliction or you're in a car accident or not your own making, so you're not having to go, you're there. Whatever you promised, you do, including your marriage vows. Is that you? That's what God expects. So clearly, they promised a gift, and I think sometimes we in our Christian life need to look at our giving almost like a promise to God rather than a good intention because if we don't we're liable to get sucked in see covetousness is Paul's main worry here he says the longer you wait to fulfill a promise covetousness is going to sneak in like a rat and it's going to make you reconsider what you promised And covetousness is not a, a very pretty thing. It's in the list of things that God says the depraved mind would do in Romans 1, 28 and 29. And in 1 Corinthians 1, 6, 9 to 10, it's in the list of those things that says those who continue to practice these things, just like adultery, just like homosexuality, covetousness. If you're a covetous person, it says your destination is not the kingdom of heaven. Does anybody in here feel like they're drawn for the need for more and more rather than a generous heart? Check it. God says those who know him have a generous heart and they're not dominated by this covetousness. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 5.11, it strikes me. Believers are not even to associate with anyone who calls them a believer or a Christian if they're covetous. Read it. Do we do that here? Paul is saying, covetous and fear are two of the greatest enemies of gracious giving. And he's letting them know, do not delay in fulfilling your promise. The promise was good. We'll send help for you to get it done. But you need to pull it through because covetousness will sneak in at you and make you question and probably limit your generosity and your giving. Make a promise. And if you need to, Make one to God. You have no problem making financial promises. I bet everybody in here made a promise to the bank to pay back their loan for their house or car. But God? Oh no. It's it's my heart, it's my good intentions. God doesn't need my commitment. What? Are you kidding? That might be the only thing that'll hold you when you want to run. Because some days you're going to be grateful and happy and cheerful and you're glad to do it. But there might be that day when it looks like it's running out and you want to be scared. What's gonna hold you? Let's move on. Good intentions are not enough. We need to follow through. Principle three, generous sowing is generous reaping. But stingy sowing is stingy reaping. The there's a story about an old king who was walking through his kingdom, greeting his citizens, and this beggar holds up a bowl for alms really hoping that king would dump some really big money in there the king instead didn't do that he asked the man i would love you to give something to me the beggar was taken aback he scrounges around and puts 3 grains of rice in the king's hand the king walked away the beggar was sad legend has it the beggar at the end of his day pours out his bowl And amongst all the things in there were these three grains. But they weren't rice. They were solid gold. And he now instantly regretted that he hadn't given the king everything. See, I think sometimes we don't understand the character of God and who we're giving to. See, God tells us look at the world's way or look at my way the world will tell you I have to hold on to everything I get I better grab it I better save it I better hoard it I better invest it I better do something with it but give it away are you nuts and God says no what you do to get ahead in my kingdom is give it away for my kingdom for my people for the needs of the people and see what I'll do you'll get ahead now we have to trust now do you want God's way or the world's way. We have a decision. God's telling us what to do. Now, God's not opposed to you being prosperous. He's opposed to anyone being prosperous to build bigger barns who are not rich towards God. He doesn't mind giving you blessings as long as he knows what you're gonna do with them. See, I bet that beggar wished he'd have given him everything he had, every grain of rice, every button, every anything if it came back gold. Our passage this morning describes that God rewards those and I want us to get this. God rewards those who give generously, cheerfully and purposefully in their heart. Now, this is not some kind of guarantee to get rich quick. This is the reality of those who trust him. And he says this. And rewards are not weird for God, by the way. This is not a new thing that he's promising here. Proverbs 17. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord and he who's he will repay him who's he? God not the poor man when you give away don't expect that person to ever give you a dime back in fact it says when you give to anyone or lend to anyone don't expect it back well that seems weird I'm loaning you a thousand dollars to do this I, I want that back no God says don't do that if you're going to give somebody to meet their needs, let it go. If they never give it back, who cares? I will. I will. Well, Proverbs 11:24. 24. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. What? Should be a generous person will become poor. Right? Because he gave it all away. no. He will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Jesus said the same thing in, in uh, Luke 6.38, where he says, give and it'll be given back to you overwhelmingly. Now the question is, do we trust God? Is God telling us the truth? See, generous hearts is not a matter of amount of money. I want you to hear this. Generosity is measured by how much was given out of how much you had. It's not the size of the gift. That's what he told the little woman that he watched give her two copper coins. God's looking to see what you're keeping for yourself more than how much you give. That's what he's looking at. Well, he gives us some uh, familiar agricultural imagery, and any farmer will tell you if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. It it does depend on how much sow, seed you sow. And if you're a stingy farmer who says, well, I'm going to save a lot of my seeds so I can at least eat, and I'm going to plant a few seeds, then only expect a few seeds. Is that surprising? So if you sow only a little bit, are you expecting big things? Don't. God says it won't happen. But Paul's not talking about grain. What he's talking about here, he says that when you sow, you're going to reap in the same kind of seed that you sow. Remember, I think it's Galatians 6-7 says, for whatever a man sows, so shall he also reap. Now, that was used in a, in a context that we know it applies to sin. If you sow sinful behavior, you're going to re- reap bad things. But he says here, if you sow a corn seed, don't expect an apricot. And if you sow money or treasure or your wealth for God and his purposes, don't expect him to pay you back in apricots. He's going to give you money back. That's what he says. It's in keeping with what you sow. So what is the hardest thing for an American to let go of? Their money. But God says, trust me, giving it away is the way to get ahead. Do we believe him? Once again, it all comes back, do you trust him? Do I trust him? I don't think anybody in this room, I, I don't want to malign anybody, but I don't know if anybody is really stretched to the limit to see if they can outgive God. I haven't. I know I haven't. It's one of the series that's been convicting to me. Because every time I look at this, it's it's tough. Well, we need to move on. Because we've got to be careful not to make this promise even though it's been abused by a lot of men who say give and you'll be rich God wants you to have a nice house and a nice car those are anathema that God has never promised those things never but he does say and we can't throw the promise out because a few men have abused it the promise stands he says if you give generously you will receive generously do you believe it I can tell you if you believe it or not because if I was going to look at your giving, it would tell me. When you look at your giving, you can tell me whether you trust God. Just look at your own. I'm not going to look at yours. You look at yours. And you say, does this reflect that I trust God and I trust this promise? Because stingy reaping comes from stingy sowing, but generous sowing is generous reaping. Well, principle four, giving is a matter of the heart, not of the calculator. This one is convicting to me because when I first started giving, I had to use a calculator to figure out how much I owed God. As an engineer, a calculator is a friend. But it's not a friend of faith. And I'm glad Jesus didn't use a calculator to figure out how much he was going to give of his riches to save me. He gave it all. The standard's pretty high. But I think what's happening here is if you think about charitable giving today, much of it is driven by guilt, arm twisting, impulse, emotional sob stories. How many have ever seen a story of a something on your screen that it just, is so, the pain, the suffering of poor people. You you want to grab your wallet and shove it through the screen because they got this sad music playing. That's emotional. This is not the type of giving Paul's talking about. What does he say we should be doing? He says that each person should be deciding in his heart, purposing in his heart with God. You have a conversation with God about this and you decide what you want to give. And do it in advance. Don't do it on impulse. Don't do it on emotion. Don't do it on pity. Do it on what you believe God wants you to do in sight of the cross and the grace he's poured out in your life and how much you trust him and see what he'll do. Now, he also tells you something else. Not only does he tell us in 1 Corinthians 16, 2 and in verse 7 that our giving is to be regular, proportional, personally determined, generous, cheerful, Did I read that right? Cheerful? Yeah, he did. He said our giving was to be cheerful. Um, Weird. I understand not under compulsion. You know, under compulsion really means you feel guilted into it or when you have done it, there's a sense of regret, a sense of loss. You see that boat going away. That, That new addition to your house, no longer possible. What you see when you give is everything you're personally losing. If you're giving that way, you're a begrudging giver. God says that's not the kind of giver that he blesses and he loves. He loves the one that's cheerful. And I look at that and I go, cheerful? What in the world? Um, Well, cheerful comes from a, a Greek word. I think it's hilaron. Hilaron. And, and it really gives us our word hilarity I don't see a lot of hilarious people when we have offering time but I, and stand-up comics see a lot more of it but we don't see that during offering the issue here is what is your heart saying when you give this I think God wants us to say hey giving in this environment when you don't know what God's going to do as a result it's kind of exciting it's kind of fun I mean I don't mind giving it away I shoot I want God's kingdom to be promoted I want the gospel of Christ to go out and besides that he's going to pay me back hey whatever I'm just going to give because I'm excited and it produces hilarity it says that people are having fun I mean the Macedonians begged for the privilege hey I want to have some fun let me give is that you is that me I would think we need to understand that that type of person God looks at differently. Did you know that we know that God loves the whole world, right? John 3:16. We know that God loves his children differently than he loves the whole world. But according to this of as all of his children, he loves some of them even differently again. He loves those children of his that have learned to give like he does that give cheerfully and not begrudgingly. Do you think when God the Father gave Jesus to rescue us, it was like, wish I didn't have to do that? Or do you think he was cheerful? It says in Scripture that it pleased the Father to bruise the Son. Why? So that we might have redemption. He could buy himself a people. He loved us enough to give. It was a joy. you guys feel like it's a guilt thing or something? When you buy your wife a present for her birthday, is it like, oh, shoot. Wish I didn't have to do that. Why does her birthday roll around every year? See, if you love someone, you can hardly do enough for them. And God says, this is who I am. And my children who imitate me, I love in a special way. I don't know of any other treasure on this earth that would be more valuable to me. What could someone give to me that would be more precious than a special affection and love from my Heavenly Father? You can't offer me enough to take that away from me. You can't offer me enough. Principle four: Giving, regardless of the amount, is a matter of the heart, not a calculator. You can't outgive God. Verses 8 to 12. We see in verse 8 begin with the words, and God is able. That's a challenging word right there. You have to either believe it or you don't. And that word able really is a Greek word for has the power. The power of God stands behind this promise. How powerful is that to you? And it says... At times to us, generous giving can feel risky, uh, foolhardy, if we don't understand the power of God that stands behind every generous, cheerful Christian. He's waiting for these principles to be put in place in your and my life when we are cheerfully, gratefully, generously trusting and giving. He says, aha, there's someone like me I'm going to love in a special way and I'm going to pour these rewards in their life because I found someone that will pour my blessings through them instead of dam up the river of blessing and make a recreational lake in their backyard. Is that you? Is that me? Are you building a dam so that you can have a nice boating lake on your backyard? God's pouring blessings through you to get to others that's why he even gave you a job, it says, in Scripture. He gives you that you might help meet the needs of others. The question now is, are we like God, and do we trust his power? Because he says, if you do, here's some of the things I'll do for you. And These are the amazing things. And just listen to these things. Verse 8. We read that God is able, has the power to what? To make all grace abound to you. How much? A little bit of grace? Marginal grace? More than average grace? all. He's not withholding a thing in grace from you. And it says, what is it for? So that always, most of the time, all times, having some sufficiency, all sufficiency in everything, which are all things, there's not a thing in your life that you will not be sufficient in if you Apply this practice and trust God first and give generously and cheerfully. You'll have all things in abundance and all you need, not some of what you need, all of what you need, for what purpose? It goes on, for every or all good deeds. Aha! God gives for a purpose. And that's what he describes in verses 11 and 12. In verses 11 and 12 or 10 and 11, excuse me, in verses 10 and 11, he teaches what those things are. What does he say? He says 10. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower. Who supplies seed? God. The first seed you sowed was God giving it to you. He supplied it. But it says he multiplies your seed. Why? To increase your harvest of righteousness. Not to make you rich. Once again, he gives for a purpose. That his blessings will flow through you to others. And that your harvest of right You'll have an impact for Jesus Christ and other people's life when you give. Well, it says in verse 11, You will be enriched, made rich for everything and all liberality. What? You're made rich for everything, for all liberality. So you can be extremely generous without worry. Would anybody like to be extremely generous without worry? I would. Sometimes I worry. Gee, I'd like to give them that couple hundred bucks for their tires, but what am I going to do if my tires go out? Give it. See what God will do. This This is his playing field. This is his promise. Well, if you give generously without grudging, and you're not a lake builder but a river passer, God will overflow you for all things and all times and all sufficiency for all you need that you can continue to pour his blessings out on his kingdom work and on his people. If that's who you want to be, you gotta start. It starts small, but it grows. Get ready. He just doesn't want you to change once he gives you the big gift. <laughs> it needs to go through too. Last principle, six. Six. Verse 13 and 14, giving promotes the gospel of Christ. This is important. He says in verse 13, because of the proof given by this ministry, w- what ministry is he talking about? He's talking about the ministering of the saints in Jerusalem, he's not talking about the men's ministry the women's ministry. He said, the proof of your ministry, the proof of your sacrificial giving to the Corinthians, uh, from the Corinthians and the Macedonians, they, the saints in Jerusalem, will glorify God for two things. One, what is it? The first one is your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ. And two, for your liberality, for your generous gift. The first thing they give... God glory for is that you're acting like a Christian. Did you see that? Your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ. See, Paul's telling them when you give, you reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who see it and receive it. You're acting like God. You're expressing your theology. I think John Stott said it this way. Uh, It's amazing. He says... um, By giving, we give expression to our theology. For example, he says, when we contribute to evangelistic enterprises, we are expressing our confidence that the gospel is the power of God into salvation, and everybody needs to hear it. That's why you give. And so for these people, let's think about the Jews. They went to the marketplace. They received the gift from the Macedonians and the Corinthians. They're now able to buy food, and they go to the marketplace, and their Jewish friends say, how is it that you have money to do this? And they said, well, we have some people up in Achaia and uh, Macedonia. They sent money to the church and they distributed it to us. He goes, aren't they Gentiles? What, yes. Do they know you're Jews? Yes. Well, well, tell me how that works. What happened? Ah, they said, because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. And they said, look, Jesus is their Lord and he's our Lord and he also says that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free male nor female you are all one in Christ we are all one body and they saw the other part of the body was hurting and so in obedience to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ they gave sacrificially and generously and now we can eat Do you think that has a testimony of what a Christian should be doing? I think it does, and I think it's true for our churches today. We need to give in expression of our theology, who we believe, what we believe. I mean, why does Valley here need money uh, to promote the gospel of Christ, should you ask? This is what we're about. When we give, we want to promote Christ to youth, to kids, to adults. Why do we give to the Agape Fund or to the Bay Area Rescue Mission as our missionary? Because we believe what God says that all men and women are created in the image of God and none need to be excluded from his care. We want to reach those that are hurting, impoverished, and the ones that we talked about, the vulnerable last week. That's why we give. And why do we even give to the local church? To paint the walls? Who cares? Who cares? The local church is God's expression of his work on earth and all of the work that's going to be done on earth is going to be accomplished through the local church to reach this world for Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. That's what you're giving to. Well, I just want to share some things. You might be convinced. Um, You say, I get it. Uh, But what's about Valley? What are we really doing? Well, I don't have time really to share everything we're doing. And there's many wonderful things, and as I shared before, we need to do better as leaders to communicate what's going on and what's not going on that we need money to make go on. Because I don't think many of you really know, and it's our fault, not yours. It's our fault. But let me uh, please know this is one of the reasons we give the church annual report. And I know many of you think that this is a dry, mechanical thing. It's not. We try to do our best to be transparent. It tells you where all the money goes. How much of it went to kids? How much of it went to youth? How much went to adults? How much went to what? We want to express that. We don't want to hide anything. You need to know. But I tell you what. Know that you're giving right now. We are reaching kids and teens and youth and adults and seniors and the gospel every week with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our children, our young children can enjoy the loving care of a nursery and child care to allow some of you to even sit in here so that you can hear the teaching about Jesus. That's why we do it. We don't just put loving care for the kids so that you can go and shop. and so you can come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, through your giving, did you know we're broadcasting on the radio to the Bay Area and thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ every week? Did you know that we're providing pastors and leaders and teachers so that they can bring the life-changing truths of the Bible to every age group in our church and through our community? Did you know where your giving is providing community-based things because we believe the gospel is a power of God and to salvation, that we have evangelistic things like summer night camp, Candy Kingdom, volleyball madness, bungee soccer, Christmas and Hercules, Bible conferences. Why do we have classes to mature people in Christ? This is what we're about. That's why we give. And you need to read about these things in our annual report. See, why do we even support our missionaries? Because the same drive is true worldwide. We need to give to missionaries who will actually reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, who will start and plant churches, who will train pastors, who will operate orphanages and schools because no one else will care for those kids. When you think about John Sarkar and what he's done as a single man through all these years, it's just mind-boggling what God has done through that man and through his ministry. I'd love to support him more. I want us to do more. Did you know I want to do more? Time is short. We need more money. We'd love more staff. We'd love another pastor to help shepherd this flock. You guys need the care. We'd love to do it. We don't have the money to do it, but have we told you? No. If you knew that, it might make a difference. You might say, help me meet that need, but we haven't done a good job. But we want to expand our reach, our touch, our effect, not only to our community, but to our world. Giving number six. You have to understand, your giving is not just an obedience thing. It's not just just a glorifying thing. It's just not a channel of blessing. It promotes the gospel of Jesus Christ to a dying world. And they need it. Well, as we finish, I hope you've understood how incredibly amazing God's promises are to you and to me and that these principles are true we need to do better in encouraging one another we need better at expressing need we need to do better at keeping our promises we need to do better we need to do better I need to do better this has been very convicting to me it really has been I've changed my giving I'm not going to tell you how and no one didn't go down but I wasn't content anymore. When I read these things I realized I haven't tested God very hard. I haven't when you give out of what you have and not out of what you might still need, it's different. You're giving out of an abundance. There's no sacrifice. You didn't even give up a a burrito. Would anybody be willing to maybe give up a burrito a week at Chipotle for this? Do you know what that would cost? That's $500. For one burrito a week. Anybody? Want? There's more than 60% of our people who give $100 or less. They won't even give a burrito a week. I needed to do better. And if you've already been a giver that's understood this and found this to be true in your life, God bless you. We're thankful for you. And I pray, though, that you wouldn't stop where you're at, that you keep on stretching, you keep on growing, you keep on testing this amazing, faithful God. He will never be outgiven. You will find him to be a man, of, a God of his word. And if you've not been giving, please don't stay on the sidelines anymore. The work is too important to not give. Even if you don't get the blessings, the work is too important to not give. Yes, I'd love you to have blessings. Yes, I'd love you to be part of the stories we can tell about God's faithfulness. But when we don't give, we don't stretch. We don't reach. We don't get the gospel of Jesus Christ out like we should. We need to give to promote the gospel. The last thing I want to close with, and I I just, I can't not say it. The last verse says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift." This is why we're even here. This Jesus is not only the cause, but the model for our giving. The Father's gift of the Son is the most amazing gift ever given to this planet. And he didn't do it begrudgingly. He was cheerful about it. And he says, anybody of my kids that want to follow me and give generously and cheerfully like me. No one's going to be left out. No one's going to be left behind. You will have what you need, and you'll have even more, so you can do it again and again and have more and more fun. This indescribable gift is the very reason we exist. It's the very message we want to preach. May we who know him, in love and obedience, learn to give purposefully, cheerfully, generously so that God's priorities can be accomplished we have stories to tell we proclaim the gospel to a dying world and let me reiterate if you don't know him yet you need to accept this indescribable gift you need this it's eternally important to you you don't need to give a dime until you know Jesus please please don't give out a guilt Just because the plate got passed, if you don't know Christ, don't put stuff in. We want to give you Jesus because it will change you and make all the difference in the world. Not only will you be forgiven, but you'll have an eternal destiny in heaven with us. And we want you to join us. We want to take as many as we can with us. Remember, no one can outgive God. Father, I'm overwhelmed really overwhelmed by your gift of Jesus and every time I give if I ever compare it to your gift it looks tiny it looks selfish I still save so much for me I feel a little bit like the the character in Schindler's List what one more thing would have purchased let us not be sitting on that one more thing that you would gladly replace if we gave it away. So, Father, teach us to be like you, who are not only purposeful, but cheerful and generous. God, change us, convict us, and lead us to be people who will bless the world around us, and through that, proclaim your name. In Jesus' name, amen.